it be that President Trump is somewhat like King Jehu in the Bible? And does that bring him into conflict again with Jezebel? It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Uh, You know what I find really interesting? I'll take the time to engage someone on social media, a total stranger, even though my time is as precious like theirs is as well. I'll take the time to engage. I'll be civil. I'll be gracious. I'll be truthful. And if I don't agree with their position quickly and abandon my own, that proves that I'm a bigot and I just don't want to listen. Fascinating. And then they degenerate into name calling and I'm the bad guy. That ever happened to you? Hey, friends, this is Michael Brown. Welcome to the Line of Fire broadcast. Phone lines are wide open right now. Here's the deal. Any subject, just like on Friday, if I have time to get to calls, you've got questions, we've got answers. Phone lines are open, 866-348-7884. I do want to talk about President Trump. I do want to talk about comparisons between Donald Trump and Jehu. I do want to talk about how that ties in with larger cultural, spiritual issues in our society today. A bunch of other things to discuss as well. But phone number to call 866-34-TRUTH. Can I say something else? Something really interesting, disturbing, but nonetheless interesting I've monitored this now in recent months as I have been confronting and calling out Christian anti-Semitism. By Christian anti-Semitism, I mean anti-Semitism being espoused and put forward in Jesus' name. Anti-Semitism being put forward by professing Christians. As I have exposed it clearly, honestly, forthrightly, truthfully, accurately, the response is now to lie about me and to spread those lies online as much as possible. It, it's really remarkable. It, it's similar to what I was just mentioning about interacting with folks on social media. Rather than actually dealing with facts and information and truth, the response is to retreat behind a wall of name calling and false accusation. Uh, for, for example, I, I've, I tweeted out the other day, let me, let me find this, um, just a simple statement about LGBT issues and theology, obviously something I've discussed and looked at many, many times. I tweeted this out. I've read the best arguments from gay theologians and wept on my knees over the pain experienced by professing gay Christians. I can only say that if they're right, then the Bible is not God's inspired word. If it is his inspired word, which it is, they're wrong. All right. Very simple. So I've gotten some responses to that post and other related ones. And one woman said, I'm going to be as gentle as I can, but can't you see that your way brings death and suicide? And why can't you be affirming and loving? I'm, I'm shortening and paraphrasing. It was multiple tweets. So I responded, I'm going to be as gentle as I can in, in my response. And I laid out several points as to why I differ with her. 
her her immediate response uh, immediate immediate response was it's clear you don't want to listen it, that was the immediate response she laid out her views i politely and respectfully laid out my views and then why can't you affirm and and you're not the spiritual authority well with all respect to this woman, neither is she. God is the spiritual authority. God's word is the spiritual authority. We submit to what's written in God's word. Uh, it's not my opinion that matters. It's what God says. We do our best to understand what's conveyed, what's written, what's of eternal moral value, what is an eternal moral principle, what was just given for Israel for time and season, what's for all people for all time. We do our best to rightly understand, and then we bow down before our creator, knowing that our father knows best, knowing that God's ways are ways of life. So, yeah, I'm not the spiritual authority, neither is she, but the Lord is. We submit to what he says. But she asked the question, why can't you just affirm? It's it's a mind-boggling question, isn't it? Are you telling me I can't be loving unless I affirm? Parents, have you loved your kids without affirming their choices, without affirming their desires, without affirming their behavior? Doesn't, as some have posted in response to me, doesn't God chastise those that he loves? I, I also tweeted this out. Can anyone give me a reason, either scriptural or logical, that in order for love to be true and real, it must always affirm? Aren't there times when, to the contrary, true love cannot affirm? Obviously, many times true love doesn't affirm and, and some great great comments in response to that but but what i find really really fascinating is is that there is this approach that says unless you affirm me my identity my desires my attractions who i feel i am unless you affirm me you don't love me i once asked one of the pioneer gay activists He's deceased now, died a few years ago, probably in his 80s. But I asked him when he called into a radio show where I was being interviewed, can I affirm you as a fellow human being? Can I love you as a fellow human being? Can I care about you as my neighbor without affirming your homosexuality? Or must I affirm your homosexuality in order not to be homophobic? And he made clear, I must affirm his homosexuality, otherwise I cannot truly love him. I cannot truly care about him. I cannot truly be a good neighbor. It's really quite remarkable. I mean, if I turn that around and say, well, you can't really love me unless you affirm my beliefs because my beliefs are are real to me to the core of my being. I'll die for my beliefs by God's grace and help. So (laughs) how does that work then? That that nobody's going to love anybody unless everybody affirms everybody and everybody can affirm everybody because we disagree. That's what we're dealing with. We're we're not dealing with interaction that is going to be substantial, that is going to be based on truth. It's basically going to be emotional responses. So here, I I, I spot this. uh, Somebody responding to me on on Twitter. They they saw something that I had had posted, and um, and their reaction was, was not to deal with what I posted. Their reaction instead was to say, isn't this the Jewish Christian who wants to put mainstream Christians in jail 
for believing that the church is Israel today. What? What? Isn't this the Jewish? Oh, quote Christians. I'm, I'm not really a Christian because I say I'm a Jewish believer in Jesus. So I'm actually a stealth Mossad agent, a Zionist shill, in case you haven't heard, who secretly invaded the church over 47 years ago to undermine the faith and bring everyone under Talmudic law. Oh, yeah, p- people, people believe this. People actually believe this. <laughs> and the people who believe this probably work jobs and probably have influence around other people. It's, it's not just somebody that's institutionalized because they've had a mental breakdown. It's someone's out in society, maybe with some influence. So this person actually believes this. Isn't this the Jewish quote Christian who wants to put mainstream Christians in jail for believing that the church is Israel today? I, I, I posted back, what on earth are you talking about? I hope you're not repeating the latest totally basis internet slander. The only correct statement here is that I'm a Jewish Christian with Jesus being the center of my life. The rest is 100% rubbish. It, it is. It's amazing. But this is what happens. So that's a result. That type of irrational response, that's the result of me exposing so-called Christian anti-Semitism. That, oh, you want to put us in jail for speaking against the Jews? No. Never said that. I speak against my own people all the time. When we have differences, we have differences. And for those who hold to replacement theology, says that the church is Israel, the has replaced Israel. I differ with it. But put people in jail. Where is this coming from? So it's interesting to see now, to, to observe this phenomenon. We watch it with our political candidates. We watch it with others. That there's misinformation circulated. And once it gets repeated, it, it takes on the quality of truth, even though it's a myth. Well, I just searched online, and there are like 400 sites reporting that. Yeah, re- all repeating the same falsehood. All repeating the same rubbish. Someone just posted earlier, and they were attacking someone for attacking me, and I said, I don't know anything about this. I just wish everyone well. <laughs> I'm not going to believe that's the case till I find out more until I have the accurate information in front of me. And, you know, there's this saying, and, and we should probably post the meme of this. It's been done many a time that, that a lie has gone halfway around the world before truth even gets its pants on in the morning. That it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating but disturbing thing to witness. Matt, my producer, and I were interacting the other day. It's frightening to watch what's happening now with anti-Semitism rising in America. And the more it rises, the more Jews get demonized. And the more you speak the truth, the more you get demonized. And then the more you hear the lies, well, today's Jews are fake Jews, or they're the synagogue of Satan, or, or that they, are, they control everybody, they control you, and, and that they're the, they're the ones, they're the, the source of all the problems. Listen, it would not take much, even in America, it would not take much if we had a major economic crisis for people to put the blame of it at the feet of the Jews and for there to be violent uprisings, uprisings against Jewish people in America. It would not take much. There are enough people with deep-seated hatred, enough people with all kinds of animosity, enough people who are bonkers in different ways and who believe all kinds of lies and who'll take a little truth here and a little truth there, mix it with a big conspiratorial lie, and next thing you have an all-out plague of hatred and even violence against the people. Hey, friends, it's happened in other countries. Before the Holocaust, 
It didn't look like it could ever happen in a sophisticated, advanced religious country like Germany. <clears throat> yeah. How could it happen there with all the sophistication? Well, it can happen anywhere because human beings are capable of all kinds of wicked, crazy acts. So on our end, all the more are we going to raise our voices. All the more are we going to speak out. Hey, would you stand with us and partner with us? If you want to help amplify my voice, take one minute now. Go to Patreon, patreon.com forward slash Ask Dr. Brown, forward slash ASK Dr. Brown. Just pennies a day, 30 cents more per day. You can become a Patreon partner and help us make a difference around the world. We're not going anywhere. By God's grace, we intend to speak more loudly and clearly. Patreon.com forward slash Ask Dr. Brown, ASK Dr. Brown. I'm going to take some calls next. And then Trump and Jehu. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us on the Line of Fire. Hey friends, Michael Brown here. God willing, tomorrow I am going to be broadcasting live from New York City, live from Manhattan, uh, scheduled to be doing interviews on my new book, Jezebel's War with America, doing interviews with Eric Metaxas earlier in the day, and then heading over to our Salem studios in Manhattan, New York City, and should be broadcasting live from there tomorrow. So if you've got a question you want to ask me, by all means, ask away. We'll try to open the phone lines tomorrow. We'll catch up with key news and some things that the Lord lays on my heart. We'll share all of that with you. But I haven't broadcast live from New York City in a long time. In fact, in fact, if I recall, ah, I remember, I remember when I did from the Empire State Building, in fact. Yeah. Otherwise, the Salem Studios used to be in New Jersey. And then I would broadcast live from there when I was in that area. But first time in a long time. And now in the new studios, uh, so looking forward to doing that. 866-348-7884. Before I go to the phones, Norman Geisler, one of the premier apologists of this generation, went home to be with the Lord this morning. And what, was he about 87, somewhere there, late 80s? I'd seen him not that long ago. And seeing some of his interaction recently, I didn't know that he was experiencing any health issues. So I, I don't know the details of his passing, if he was battling something or just suddenly went to be with the Lord. But he seemed mentally sharp and clear. And uh, what, what I found interesting about Dr. Geisler, he was an intellectual giant and, and a brilliant defender of the faith, did a, a massive amount of work on, on apologetics. What I found really interesting was that when he and I got to know each other and he found out I was a Pentecostal charismatic background, he was not. And he had written books, you know, with raising concerns about contemporary claims of signs, wonders, and miracles. He said, Hey, we don't divide over that. We major on orthodoxy. He had me speak at a chapel at Southern Evangelical Seminary. I spoke at an apologetics conference there, then became an adjunct professor at Southern Evangelical in the years after he was there. And I remember one time, I was teaching a class at Southern Evangelical Seminary. And I guess, I think it was a Saturday. It was an all-day class. It was every night of the week for five nights, and then an all-day class on Saturday. 
and I was going out to get lunch. I was on my way to one restaurant and just decided last second, no, 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 go to this one instead. Just out of the blue, but very decisively, no, no, go to this one. And as I was getting out of my car, I saw an older couple uh, starting to go into the restaurant. So I kind of ran ahead so I could open the door for them just to be polite. And it was Dr. Geisler and his wife. And we sat and talked and I talked to him about the Brownsville Revival. And of course, many, many times revivals get misreported. What I found was probably 90% of the criticism of the Brownsville Revival was based on misinformation, which, which is not atypical with revival movements and things like that. And uh, certainly he would have heard more of the bad reports because circles he would be in would be largely non-charismatic. He talked to me about what happened and what was genuine and so on. And I thought, isn't that interesting? For all of his intellectual prowess, for his theological acumen, for his clarity of thought, for him being non-charismatic, that he was perfectly open to sit with a charismatic brother and said, yeah, we, we agree on orthodoxy and glad to hear that God was moving and that people were being saved through it. Uh, that was something that was remarkable to me because many times we can get closed off in our own circles and as brilliant as someone might be, they could kind of live within a certain circle and reject those outside of it. He was embracing as long as we majored on the majors and held to orthodoxy together. 866 for truth. Uh, let's go to the phones. And then I do want to talk to you about is Donald Trump like King Jehu of old. Let's go to Horatio in California. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, Dr. Brown. Hey, how you doing? Good. I just had a, a quick question. I want to uh, ask your thoughts on the position of partial preterism, mm -hmm. specifically uh, with regard to Matthew chapter 24, where our Lord wraps up uh, what he had just finished saying with uh, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. And also with regard to uh, Revelation and, you know, the belief that the beast is something that uh, a character that has already came into history. What are your thoughts on that? Right. So uh, let me explain for our listeners. Uh, preterist means past. So a full preterist position, which I wholeheartedly categorically reject is dangerous and unbiblical says that all biblical prophecies have already come to pass. There will be no physical second coming of Jesus. There will be no future resurrection of the dead. We are living now in the new heavens and the new earth and the new Jerusalem. Death and dying have passed away. I mean, it's utterly bizarre when you really break that down. That's the full preterist position. The partial preterist position says that many of the major prophecies have come to pass already. So we still await the new heavens and the new earth and the future resurrection. But all of Matthew 24 has already come to pass. The, the second coming spoken of there has come to pass, or at least the great bulk of what's spoken of in Matthew 24 has come to pass. So, uh, and, and the antichrist or beast figure in revelation is referring to someone in the past say, from, from the Roman Empire, one of the, the Caesars, Nero-type figures that persecuted the Christians. All right, so Horatio, number one, I do not reject this the way I reject full preterism. In other words, I differ with it as a difference among brothers. I, I don't outright categorically reject it as a very, very serious error, like the error that says there is no physical second coming of Jesus or there is no future resurrection. And there are many in the church that would put 
full preterism, completely outside the pale of the faith. In other words, someone who holds to full preterism is, is a heretic because they've said the resurrection has already passed and there's no future second coming of Jesus. So I don't put partial preterism in that camp. I, I, I recognize brothers and sisters in the Lord have these views. It's, it's a typical post-millennial view that would hold to partial preterism. But I reject it for a, a number of, of reasons. Regardless of how we understand the book of Revelation, in other words, even if symbolically it referred to many events that took place in the first century, it's very clear to me that the language is not exhausted by that and that there's yet future application. But let, let's put that still as a question mark, just because it's apocalyptic language. It's that mystical language that can speak of contemporary events as if it's the end of the world. I, I see no scriptural basis for accepting that the second coming of Jesus that's spoken of in Matthew 24, beginning in verse 27, has already happened. Here, here are the actual words. Whereas the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Wherever the corpses there, the vultures will gather. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of heaven will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. He'll send out his angels with a loud trumpet call. They'll gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. That has not happened yet. I know people try to parse the words to say it's already happened, but it hasn't in the plainest, clearest sense of those words. We are still waiting for the appearing of Jesus. That's when we get relief. And, and what does it say? He's going to come with the sound of a loud trumpet. Didn't Paul write in 1 Corinthians 15 that with the last trumpet, we will be transfigured, we will be transformed, rather, we'll be raptured up, caught up with the Lord, the dead and Messiah will be raised. Isn't that what's written in 1 Thessalonians 4? It's all going to happen with the blast of the trumpet. All right, This has not yet happened, this second coming that the whole world sees, the appearing and heaven of the Son of Man, that did not happen when the temple in Jerusalem was destroyed. So what then do we do with verse 34? Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. If you remember, in Matthew 24, 3, the disciples asked Jesus a threefold question about the destruction of the temple. When will this happen? When will the temple be destroyed? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? They thought the three things would all happen at the same time, but they didn't. Because the temple was destroyed, and the end of the age didn't happen yet, and Jesus didn't return yet. So Jesus answers all three of their questions in one passage. And Matthew 24, 34 can just as well mean the generation that sees these final things I'm speaking of. Not everything in the chapter, but the generation that sees these final things that I'm just describing to you. That generation won't pass away. That generation hasn't come yet because we're still here. That's one way of reading it. You can read it that Matthew 24 has two layers to it. The layer that speaks of the destruction of the temple in the year 70 and the layer that speaks of his return. And in each case, the generation that sees certain things happen in conjunction with the destruction of the temple, when you see those first things, you'll live to see the temple destroyed. This other final generation, when they live to see certain things happen, they won't die until the Lord returns but I reject the partial preterist view of Matthew 24. And when you look at the earliest church leaders, the disciples of the apostles, they were looking forward to this to happen. It hadn't happened yet. 
they were looking forward to the second coming, which had not yet taken place. So I, I respect uh, the brothers with who that hold this position, the brothers and sisters as, as fellow believers, but I reject it. The, the one last thing I'll say also, I, I know you asked for my short answer, so sorry to go on at such length, but let me just say this, this last thing. Um, Partial preterists, generally speaking, do not see God's eternal purpose for, his, for Israel and say when the temple was destroyed, the promises to Israel were, were, were destroyed because of Israel's unfaithfulness and, and the fig tree was cursed, etc. is, is going to bear no fruit anymore. So individual Jews can be saved, but the national promises no longer apply. I see that as a serious error that's often held to by partial preterists. To get Craig Keener's great insights on this, get our book, Not Afraid of the Antichrist. Not Afraid of the Antichrist will really open these things up to you. Hey, thank you for the call, sir. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on the Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown, your voice of moral sanity and spiritual clarity in the midst of a society in chaos and a church all too often in compromise. We're doing our best to encourage others to speak the truth, to speak the truth in love, to represent Jesus in thought and word and deed. Number to call with any question of any kind. And crit, yeah, I'll say it like for the millionth time, maybe not millionth, but many a time. Critics, you can call in too. First thing you ever do, give you the invitation to 866-348-7884. All right. Donald Trump and King Jehu. Do you remember hearing a lot of words about Donald Trump being likened to King Cyrus in the Bible. Do you remember Lance Wallnau's story that he was in a meeting with candidate Donald Trump and felt God leading him to read from Isaiah 45, but he didn't really remember what was in it and asked the president, can I read this to you from, I opens to Isaiah 45 and there's God speaking to King Cyrus saying how he's going to use Cyrus, even though Cyrus doesn't know Yahweh, doesn't know the God of Israel. (laughs) Lance actually reads this to Trump. God's going to use you even though you don't know him. Yeah. So a lot of people said, how can evangelicals vote for Donald Trump? He's not a Christian. He's so divisive. He's this and that. And people said, well, seems just like God used Cyrus in the Bible to bless the Jewish people, to bring the exiles back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city. Looks like God wants to use Donald Trump to help the evangelical cause and and cause of righteousness in America, even if he himself doesn't yet know the Lord. And I believe there's a lot of validity to that parallel. Like anything, you can stretch it too far. No, it's not saying that he's prophesied in the Bible. The Bible's talking about Cyrus, but a parallel situation. Well, last year... On the day when we had that eclipse, I was interviewing Jonathan Kahn about his book, The Paradigm. And he said that he saw in the Bible Ahab, ungodly king of Israel, with his wicked wife Jezebel. And, and Jezebel ends up really emasculating Ahab in different ways. That he saw them as similar to a Bill and Hillary Clinton. Now, it's not to say Hillary Clinton is Jezebel. We pray for 
her salvation and God's best in her life, and she's not going around killing God's prophets as Jezebel did. But certainly you understand the, the nature of the, the parallel, all right? And then he said Donald Trump is kind of a Jehu figure. And, and Jehu was the one who ultimately came in final conflict with Jezebel and, and brought her down. And when he mentioned Trump, I thought, yeah, Trump and Jehu, that's interesting. Because Jehu, on the one hand, was zealous for Yahweh's cause and did a lot of good, but there was a lot of collateral damage as well. And, and he, was, he was, didn't have a political background. He was a general, right? So he didn't have a royal background. You could say he was a general. And, and he got in the fights with everybody. And uh, what's interesting is that I found uh, Joel Pollock, who is an Orthodox Jewish editor at Breitbart.com, a right-wing website. Uh, listen to what he wrote. This is December 15th, 2018. Joel Pollock. Orthodox Jew. He said, in many ways, Trump is reminiscent of the biblical King Jehu. This is from my book, Jezebel's War with America, the plot to destroy our country and what we need to, and how we can turn the tide. If you don't yet have the book, go to Jezebel's War with America.com. Find out what happens when you pre-order, how you get $50 of free material, including the ebook of this book and others free when you pre-order Jezebel's War with America.com. Pollock writes this, in many ways, Trump is reminiscent of the biblical King Jehu, an outsider who was anointed to rule Israel and rid it of corruption. Jehu also dispatched Ahab's widow, the wicked queen Jezebel, who had urged her late husband to persecute the prophets. And then Pollock continues with this, Jehu continued his aggressive campaign to rid the kingdom of corruption. He ordered the execution of 70 of Ahab's sons and used an ingenious ruse to slaughter all the remaining supporters of Baal, luring them to a temple by promising them that he would also worship the idol and then ordering his guards to kill them. Though his methods were unconventional, Jehu earned the support of Jehonadab, the son of Rechab, wildly, widely excuse me, respected for his morals. So in, in Pollock's mind, Trump would be kind of a Jehu figure who was unorthodox, didn't have a political background, was an outsider, did a lot of good, but with a lot of collateral damage, who defeated Hillary Clinton, say the most prominent feminist of this generation, you could say, and gained the respect of moral outsiders like Jehonadab in the Bible, or today, Vice President Mike Pence. Interesting. Well, Jonathan Kahn had made these comparisons earlier in his book, The Paradigm, the Ancient Blueprint that Holds the Mystery of Our Times. So look, these just parallels. These are just parallels. I do not believe that when the Bible talks about King Jehu, it's a prophecy about Donald Trump. No, it's talking about history about King Jehu. I'm just looking at parallels. You could say, oh, this leader, he's kind of like an FDR. Oh, this leader, he reminds me of Moses in the Bible. Oh, this leader, she's kind of like a Deborah in the Bible. Oh, this leader, he reminds me of like an Abraham Lincoln type figure. That's all we're saying. We're just saying it's a a parallel of interest because you kind of see what happens with people like this. So Jonathan Kahn lays out these, these points. So in Ahab's day, same in America, 2016, the nation is at a crossroads. Second, Jehu is not a politician. 
Trump is not a politician. Jehu is a fighter. Trump is a fighter. Jonathan said actually he fights with everybody. All right. And how was Jehu categorized or caricatured or characterized? How was he spoken of by others? Well, 2 Kings 9, 20, it says that he, King James, driveth furiously. He drives his chariot furiously. So other translations say he drives like a maniac. He drives like a madman. He drives wildly. He drives recklessly. In my book, Jezebel's War with America, I have headlines that accuse Trump of the very same thing. Donald Trump is reckless, erratic, and incompetent, according to business leaders around the world. That's Newsweek, 2017. Majority of voters think Trump is reckless, poll says. That's Detroit Free Press, 2017. Poll. Majorities think Trump is reckless, profane, and sexist. The Hill, 2018. Trump's not a liar. He's a madman. Washington Post. War of Words. Trump, visionary or madman. The Telegraph, 2018. A Virginia Democrat calls Trump a narcissistic maniac, and he's not the liberal in the race. CNN, 2017. So here, these different translations of 2 Kings 9.20, that he drives like a maniac or he's reckless or like a madman, these are all accusations against Trump, interestingly enough. Third, Jonathan Kahn points out, Jehu the warrior will come head-to-head against the former first lady. Then there will come a showdown. Because that's what happens, the former first lady... Jezebel and the former first lady here being Hillary Clinton. So what we see is when you have the type of person that Donald Trump is, you can call him the, the alpha male character. You may love him or loathe him. You may have voted for him or never vote for him. But what I'm saying holds true either way. This type of personality will now come into conflict with the radical feminist spirit. Now, there are women who despise Trump because they look at his sexist past. They look at his past and they say he's misogynist. They look at his past and, and they believe the accusations that he molested other women or touched them inappropriately or certainly spoke against them in wrong ways. And they say, how can, how can that man represent America? And that's still who he is today. That's how they view him. I understand that. And certainly, I didn't vote for him because of his moral past. For, not for a split second, obviously. That being said, many others hate him today. I'm talking about radical feminists because of his conservative values, because he's standing for the pro-life movement. Remember what happened with, with the hearings for, for Brett Kavanaugh when it really looked like Roe v. Wade might be under assault with yet another conservative justice? Do you remember the women literally pounding the doors of the Supreme Court, shouting out their abortion, and at the same time, radical feminists with the election of Trump, with their public marches? Now, some women marching are marching for, for moral reasons and right reasons, but, but others for, for radical feminist wrong reasons, for sure. And, and, you know, Madonna's saying she wants to blow up the White House, right? And, and now the rise of witches cursing President Trump. Yeah, pronouncing hexes over him and the connection between radical feminism and witchcraft, both of them on the rise. So this is, this is what happens when you have a Jehu-type figure. He's going to come in conflict with Jezebel. 
you have a Trump-type figure, he's going to come in conflict with radical feminism. Again, you can see this whether you voted for him or against him. I'm not being political here. Please hear me. I'm being spiritual. I'm looking at the spiritual dynamics that are taking place. So it is with the rise of a Trump, for better or worse, that these other things come to the surface. Hey, we had tremendous division in our country. We've we've had it in many ways for many years. I believe President Obama made the division much worse. And I believe President Trump now has continued to make the division worse. I, I believe that both men, the way they led, led in ways that played into the divisiveness in America. Okay. And they're both falsely accused and they're both rightly accused. They're human beings. Okay. Any of us flawed as we are, will we'll fall short of the ideal as president or any position of leadership. We understand that. All right. So whether you voted for Obama, voted for Trump, neither, either way, hear what I'm saying. What I see is positive though, with president Trump being in office is that it is brought up to the surface, just how radical the other side is, just how wacky the radical left actually is just how militantly pro-abortion, how militantly extreme LGBTQ activism, how pro-witch, pro-radical feminist, anti-male the radical left is, and even anti-biblical value and anti-religious liberty. This has all come to the surface. In that sense, there are a lot of parallels between Trump and Jehu. I get into a lot more detail in the book Jezebel's War with America. If you're ready, pre-ordered on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Christian Book, any of those, then go to Jezebel's War with America to cash in on all the benefits. If you haven't pre-ordered yet, go to Jezebel'sWarWithAmerica.com to find out more. Book comes out less than six weeks. It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. We are going to take some calls. 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. Hey, again, just a little request for me. Feel free to differ with me as long as you understand what I actually believe. Feel free to take issue with me as long as it's based on facts and information. And if you want to know what I believe, don't look to see who I've had on the air. Cause I've had all kinds of people on the air and often reach out to people who disagree with me most strenuously to have on the air. And I heard from some folks, very controversial beliefs. They offered to come on the air. I said, great. I said, but I'm going to play the devil's advocate. I'm going to raise all kinds of questions for you. And then let's find out what's true and what's not true. If you want to find out what I believe. Don't, don't look at, what conference I spoke at or what church I speak at. Cause I speak at all kinds of conferences and all kinds of churches and teach in all kinds of places. You want to know what I believe? Look to see what I believe. Oh, kind of demystifies it. Doesn't it? I've written a lot of books, written a lot of articles, got a lot of radio shows, been on the air 11 years. It should be enough to draw from. Go to ask Dr. Brown, askdrbrown.org and type in what you're looking for. And you'll probably find an article or a video or a radio broadcast or a book or all four, or maybe a whole class, maybe even more. So find out. And then if you differ with what I believe, well, great, that's fine. We can discuss it. Well, I read on the internet, 
Don't believe everything you read on internet. Yeah, word of wisdom for the ages. <clears throat> 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go over to Washington. Peyton, welcome to the line of fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. Nice hey. talking to you. Um, I, have a <laughs> I have a question on um, Revelation 7. Mm-hmm. Because I know you're uh, post-trip, and I'm uh, Assemblies of God. So I um, uh, well, it is our hope that it's a pre-tribulation. Uh, we are raptured before the tribulation. But my question is: um, Is it possible that we are raptured at the end of chapter seven in Revelation? Because um, and the great tribulation is before then, right? It's the six seals of the great tribulation, and um, the seventh before the seventh one we're raptured. Is that possible? Not that I see. In other words, there's no mention of a rapture anywhere in the book of Revelation, actually. No explicit reference. No explicit reference to believers being raised from the dead and and those alive and who remain. Because remember, that happens at the same time. Believers are raised from the dead. Those who are alive and remain are caught up to meet the Lord at one and the same time. So that doesn't happen until Revelation, the 20th chapter, the resurrection there. There's no mention anywhere in Revelation of believers being caught up, and it says that all these saints here are coming out of great tribulation. So we're, we're all being martyred, yeah, you know, and, and then out of that martyrdom going, go, going to heaven while, while the yeah. things continue to happen on the earth. Okay, yeah, I, I was just wondering because, yeah, in chapter 14 it does say, they, these are which they came out of great tribulation. Um, yeah, that's because we're uh, here. So, in other words, we're, Jesus promised us tribulation, John sixteen thirty three. right? In this world, you'll have tribulation. Yeah. But be a good share of overcome the world. But let, me, let me just throw out a different angle for you to think about, all right, Peyton? Wh- okay. which, which is this? Obviously, I, I'm, I'm not looking to suffer. In other words, if I could avoid mm-hmm. being thrown in prison, if I could avoid being tortured, if I could avoid being martyred in the natural... You know, I'd rather be here for my family and be here to serve God, and I'm, I'm not looking for pain, right? But yeah. this is going to be the climax of the ages. This is going to be a time of tremendous need for the Jewish people. I want to be here. I, I want to be here in the midst of it. I, want an es- I don't want an escape. I want to be here to reach my people and, and, and to be here to stand tall for the gospel in crazy times, trusting that God's grace is sufficient. And, and why... As, as, as we speak, uh, believers are being persecuted around the world. Before we go to sleep tonight, yeah. a believer somewhere is going to be beaten to death or killed in some brutal way, and, and Christians are being tortured as we speak right now and being deprived. Of, you know, why should, why should we just get to escape uh, when, when others have been through so much for the gospel? So, yeah, I, I'm not looking to suffer in that regard. And like everybody else, if I can avoid it, I do, you know. Uh, but maybe there's another way to look at it. Don't you want to be here for the climax yeah. of the ages, you know, and, and be here to be a witness in the midst of it? Just something to think about, sir. Okay. All right. Hey, thank you for calling. Oh. God, yeah, go ahead. I, I was just wondering, because, you know, this is the, the place in the Bible where he says, um, the, you know, the, the last verse, they shall hunt, oh, the 16, verse 16, they shall hunt no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun light yeah, yeah. or any heat for the lamb, which is in the midst of the throne, shall feed them and shall lead them. But this is so you're saying this isn't where they take 
up into heaven? Is he just talking about Christians that have suffered the great tribulation as in before the rapture? No, yeah. no, no, no. They're, they're, they've been killed, and now they go to heaven. In other words, they go to heaven not because of the rapture. They go to heaven because they've been killed. Follow? Oh. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so they're not going to suffer anymore. They're now before the throne. Yeah, they've been, they've been raptured. Hey, Peyton, thank you for the call. I do appreciate it. 866-34-TRUTH. All right, there's a call I want to get to in Florida as soon as I can. Um, I right, just waiting for that line to clear, and, and I want to get there. If, if I get to some other calls, I will as well. Um, all right, tell you what, let's, let's go to our friend Todd in Seagrove, North Carolina. What's your question today, sir? Oh, well, my question is about uh, Zechariah, the 8th chapter, verse 19. Uh, uh-huh. It speaks about the, the fast of the 4th, 5th, 7th, to 10th month in a future tense. But I'm curious to find out whether that was something that was being practiced in, in Old Testament times. Yeah, yeah. In, in other words, so, so the context is, uh, mentions the fast of the 4th month, the fast of the 5th month, fast of the 7th, fast of the 10th, shall be the house to do the seasons of joy. There were other fast days that were added to the Jewish calendar at that time. All right. Not, not all of them um, are, 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 um, are mentioned in the Bible. Okay. So what happened was there were other fasts that were added, you know, times of mourning, be it for the destruction of the temple or for other things. And it's saying in the future, those will be Times of rejoicing. Yes. Yeah, so, so Todd, those were practiced. In other words, th- those were practiced at that time. And, and, uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it's, it's not saying, for example, that any fast day in the Bible is not going to become a time of rejoicing uh, because some of them were not mentioned then. Some of them were added, but they were being practiced already in biblical times. And then Judaism continues to practice them today and has added some others. Hey, thanks for the call, sir. 866-34-TRUTH. Dee Dee in Florida, thanks for calling the line of fire. Hello? Yeah, go ahead. You're on the air. Oh, hi, Dr. Braun. I was wondering um, about the endorsement on return of the kosher pig. Um, Yep. I've studied it for a long time um, and just started really realizing that they also teach that Metatron and Enoch and Michael is the same Jesus that I serve. And I'm a little confused because I don't think it is. They go into the bird's nest and the hall of Messiah. Got it. Got it. And a whole bunch of stuff. So yep. what? And, and you, Didi, if your name rings a bell, someone mentioned this to me on social media the other day. You've got some videos on about this. I think you even take issue with me. Is that right? Are you the same person? Who, me? Yeah. No. no. Ah, okay. How interesting. All right. No There's so. someone that, that no is absolutely so. fascinating. Okay. And anyway, yeah. So, no so Dee Dee. So. <laughs> yeah. No, that's just, that's perfectly fine. So let me, um, let me explain. Uh, Sahih Shapir wrote this book, The Return of the Kosher Pig, with the real goal of reaching the Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox community. So, his big point was also to show the deity of Jesus in rabbinic literature, that, that Jesus, there's a view of the Messiah being God in rabbinic literature. So I so appreciate his heart to reach Jewish people with the gospel. There, there are very few evangelists in the Messianic Jewish community. 
that I wrote an endorsement of the book saying, check it out. It's controversial. Check it out. So I didn't say that I agreed with all the contents. I've had rabbi friends okay. very upset with me for writing an endorsement saying he makes lots of errors. Then I've passed those on to Sahi and Sahi said, no, there's an answer. They're not errors. And we've run it through top scholars in Israel. So that debate goes on. But as I oh. understand it, he's doing the opposite of what you're thinking. In other words, what he's well, saying actually, is... I, um, I do know people in the yeshiva, and they do believe this. They do that, believe in the interpretation. Oh, okay, interestingly. Yeah, so, so Didi, yeah, yeah. Here's, yeah, here's, here's, what, here's what I understand he's saying. That when traditional Jewish literature speaks of Metatron as this exalted angel who actually bears Yahweh's name, or when in Exodus 24, come up to me on Mount, the Lord says, come up to the Lord on Mount Sinai, that it's actually Metatron representing the Lord, as the Lord is, he is. That what his argument is that all these different figures in traditional Judaism that they see as highly exalted or intermediaries or bearing divine characteristics, that that's actually the Messiah, the Son of God, that they were trying to find it and understand it, but didn't have it right. And here he's saying, no, 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 the right interpretation, all those texts, those beliefs you have, instead of looking in your tradition, now look to the Son of God. That's who they're speaking about. So he's not saying, to my understanding, that we can read into those texts and learn more about Jesus, but rather we can use those traditional texts to say to a traditional Jew, hey, Consider that these are actually speaking about the Son of God and you've misunderstood what it's really all about. Hey, we're out of time, but thank you for the call. Live from New York City, all things going well tomorrow.